Hello, all you out there. This is Scott Trout, host of Between Two Worlds. This is a podcast about belief, unbelief, and everything in between. I am a Christian who is trying to figure out my blind spots in life. And I'm sitting down with a good friend, Hadil, who I happen to know from church here in Amsterdam. Uh, Hadil, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Um, <clears throat> as you can see, I'm currently in my recording dungeon. Yeah, this, this is the where... perils of being a new father. Yes. Naomi <laughs> is not on podcast schedule. And so I have to find a dungeon to do my recordings. You should train that child in the way she should go. No more dungeons for you. <laughs> Soon she'll be on this with me. We'll make <laughs> there this you together. go. Yeah. <laughs> the family so, business. Uh, Hadil, let's talk a little bit about how we know each other. Uh, mm -hmm. You already mentioned this game of werewolf. And yep. as I recall, I was originally the mayor and I was a great okay. mayor. <laughs> and uh, you became a jealous town citizen okay. and wanted to become the mayor and then turn the town against me. That's how I remember it. Is that, is that how you remember that is, it? That is definitely not how I remember it. It's a very interesting tone. I appreciate your perspective. <laughs> um, however, what I remember from that was you got power hungry yourself and the, the voice was really loud. And I thought, so though, mind you, for the listener, I didn't know Scott really before this. It was a Friendsgiving. It was like a First small time. gathering pre-corona where you could actually be in the same room yeah. together. We packed we a lot of playing, people. Yeah, there was a lot of humans in a small space. Um, it was really great. And we played this game called Werewolf, where if you're not familiar with it, it's like there's somebody who's the mayor, there's somebody who's the werewolf, obviously. There are villagers. And then there's a doctor. And you all are trying to guess who is who. And I, I think Scott was the mayor first. Like he got handed the role of the mayor and he did not do this half-heartedly. Like That's really right. the improv skills came in strong. I put my heart and soul in that role. You really did. You really did. There was a lot of like strained like notes that came out of you. Like, <laughs> well, well, I don't remember that. I, I remember just I, being fluid. Just, well, anyway. I mean, it is from my perspective, so. Mm. <laughs> I appreciate your perspective. But I just thought immediately when you were going through this, I was like, this is a fun person and I need to engage in this this uh, game that we're playing like very quickly as much <laughs> as possible. Um, so then I was like, wait a minute, this is becoming a tyrannical Southern <laughs> mayor. Yeah, I, I need Southern. to bring equality to this group with my diverse perspectives. Um, so then I decided to run on that podium of bringing inclusion and interesting perspectives. <laughs> it, it became heated and political quick. And I was it like, really this, did. Is, this is too yeah. current. This is too current. This is, this is too soon, but also not too soon because it was very good. Yeah. And just because I had a loud voice in a perfect Southern accent, perfect they, decided Southern to, accent. <laughs> they decided to kill me. Um, Hadil, then the second time I remember yep. a distinct memory of you know how we know each other is from church so we go to yeah. this church called liberty in amsterdam it's an amazing church uh they meet in this beautiful building called the vondelkirk mm -hmm. um and being from america like i'm not used to these really beautiful old church buildings yeah and uh, but more than anything it's just like a really humble group of people who love god and love the city of amsterdam and anyway <clears throat> so we'd had that experience of mayors and uh and then one sunday service I think I stood up and I saw you, you saw me, we made eye contact and then we pointed to each other 
And that's all we did. But I was like, I think we're friends. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> it was amazing. It's like the same level of like, just a little bit off kilter people, just like seeing each other, clocking it, being like, listen, fellow, fellow kindred spirit, we, we understand each other. We see each other right now. We pointed. Yeah, exactly. So Hadil, I, uh, been trying to get you on this podcast for a long time so i'm highly sought after like everyone just <laughs> everyone wants to on their podcast this is not true please if you want me on your podcast i am more than willing to join every hipster podcast <laughs> exactly that's Watch my out. that's my brand granola <laughs> um okay so Hadil, i am excited to get into your story i actually mm. really don't know it a ton oh. um maybe i've heard like snippets or whatever from other people but yeah yeah. So as you know, this podcast, we're, we're trying to interview people's story of faith and, um, and build an audience where people are actually hearing someone from the other side who maybe mm. doesn't believe in Christianity or who has this faith in something different than ourselves or who's ag agnostic or atheist. And so uh, the beauty of it is, yeah, I think we're really starting to build that. People are like, oh, you know, I've never thought of it that way or this perspective. And um, and then we've got this running theme of between two worlds. So I think mm. you have this within yourself as well, where yep. this sensibility of like, you know, I'm not fully in this world. I'm not fully in this world. Mm. Um, so let's start there. Yep. The between two worlds thing. How does that fit into your, your life experience? Oh, man, I can think of so many parallels. Um, I think maybe a bit of context on who I am. I grew up in the United States, as you can probably tell from my accent, Um in Oregon area and then also in Arizona, but I am the byproduct of uh, mission trips, basically. Uh, so my dad was a missionary in Jordan and uh, he had an arranged marriage with my mom, who Whoa. is Jordanian Palestinian. So As a by nature, he did? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they were trying to do ministry in the Middle East um, and they both were like, they knew each other for three months, three months. I don't know why that came out strange for three months <laughs> before they got married and yeah that that was kind of the story and they just kind of my dad was like yeah the the first conversation I had with her I was like so if we get married and he was like that was my opening line like, like I wouldn't recommend that yeah not really no <laughs> so I mean God works miracles and they're married like what 31 30 something odd years later and wow they love each other way more now than they did when they first got married <laughs> Which, it's like who are you stranger yeah exactly but yeah I think it was really sweet because they just chose to they were like yeah we have similar life purpose we want to share Jesus and wow. we want to live in a radical way and sounds like we're kind of aligned we're on the same page let's just go do it together uh, which I think is not exactly the way that people do it nowadays like it's much more romance driven and yeah. there's romance it just came a little bit later yeah, yeah <laughs> so wow yeah so that was cool and by nature as well like grew up in um washington so they stopped working missions officially uh so washington oregon area where my dad is from and just my brother and i were the only half arab kids we knew we didn't really know any other arabs they were not a ton of diversity where we lived hmm. so we always just kind of felt like okay we're not fully american and we're not fully arab either so we're like these third culture kids that live between these two worlds well did you hey. see the tie-in guys uh, <laughs> so we live between these two worlds where 
on one side you have like Christmas Eve with our, my Arab family, which is loud and chaotic and lots of stuff going on and lots of food everywhere. And then we'd have Christmas Day with my American side of the family. And it was like calm and proper and lots of sarcasm and like witty humor. So I just remember living in that tension between the two things and uh, yeah, just not looking super Arab either, not what people think of. So yeah, just my brother and I would, I would say both sort of struggled with that in uh, the US and also we were kind of like middle school age-ish when um, 9-11 happened and then everyone was afraid of Arabs because <laughs> hmm. Arab equals terrorist in a lot of people's minds at that time. Whoa. So I remember my parents saying, guys, don't tell people that you're Arab. Don't tell them. It, it's a bit hard to dis- disguise that when your first names are Yusuf and Hadil. <laughs> like, it's not super common. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to say when people ask, where are you from? Just like, I'm so from America. <laughs> did, you, did you have some yeah, hard experiences around that time? I think I didn't get any direct hate for it for sure at the time um if we did i wasn't super aware of it um i knew of other people in my family getting like hateful messages Hmm. but uh no for me personally no but i think it just started making me feel like there's a shame in who i am Hmm. and what my ethnic makeup was and that it wasn't cool to be mixed with the middle east and you're not technically mixed race it's just mixed cultures hmm. so still fully white but so i'm not really with uh, the other kids who are like half asian or half black but yeah it just kind of felt like oh you know, like homeless you know it's like kind of white but it's a little off white smells a little garlicky <laughs> kind of it's kind of my vibe yeah so yeah that's kind of the the first start of it is uh being aware and i think that that was very helpful for me as a kid even though it's a horrible thing for a kid to go through to feel shame about where they're from or their family or be embarrassed of an immigrant parent. I think it was helpful for me to relate to and also see other people's perspectives that were also in this tension. So most of my good friends were, I mean, like people who were also from other countries or they had a mom from another country or yeah, like our house was so international, like, my parents had a ton of friends from all around the, the world. And so you just, you know, come home and suddenly there's a couple from India who are missionaries in India there. And you're just like, cool. Hi. Hmm. Hello. Somebody from Ecuador, somebody from uh, who's living in Australia now. Like our house was so international. And even though we had very little, my parents were always like so willing to give food and time and conversation and had I not been brought up in a house like that, I think it would have been much different. But I really, really valued that like hmm. practice of sitting with people who are very different from you and kind of exploring the tensions of being between two worlds. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Wait, so I just wanted one clarification. So with the Christmas yeah. Eve Christmas, yep. um, your mom's family was also living in the States? Yeah. So my some of my aunts married uh, American guys and so they came over and not all of them were there at the time that I was a kid but uh, one particular my mom's older sister was uh, living in Washington state Hmm. and then my grandparents also live in Washington state so the deal was we would split the families up and we would uh, have one Christmas Eve at like my aunt's house 
with all my cousins and me and everybody in their family. And then uh, also go to my dad's side of the family the next day. So yeah, not okay. all of them lived in Jordan. Like um, a lot of them live in the US now. Yeah. But yeah, like definitely a, f- a fun time. <laughs> and, um, but then, but then all Christian. So you're having. Yeah. Yeah. So my whole family is uh, at least my more immediate family or my mom's immediate family. They had a background of both Greek Orthodox and then also Catholic. But then the children of my grandmother basically were um, became more evangelical or went to the Protestant tradition, which is a big deal. Um, But yeah, they they were in that point one percent of the population of Jordan that is actually like Protestant evangelical. Wow. So definitely a very, very tiny, tiny population is actually of that faith in the wow. Middle East, at least at the time. Is it growing now? Is it different? I'm not sure. I haven't looked up what the stats are now to see like the percentage, but I think the vast majority of the country is Muslim. So like I would say yeah. 95% or so. Yeah. And then there's like that 10 to 5% that's usually either Catholic or Greek Orthodox or something along those lines. And then there's like that point one percent so forth that's like evangelical christian it's not wow. very common i'd say yeah 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 i'm kind of curious like <clears throat> um their story a little bit of like how they converted but i'm also just mm. curious um what so <clears throat> both christian but then very different ways of celebrating mm. yeah. certain things so i'm kind of curious if there's any fun stories of like yeah yeah what, I mean, what um traditions look like well i remember my mom saying that the reason why she didn't want to be in the Catholic faith anymore was that she didn't like that she had to keep working and that she never felt like she was loved or approved by God. And she would try and try and try, but it was always like, you have to go to the priest and confess. And that's your only way to God. Um, And so her, one of her aunts on like her dad's side was like, you don't have to do that because in Ephesians, it says that, you that by works you're not going to be saved and uh it's by the grace of god alone and she was like that was such a freeing thought that i didn't have to be in this constant hamster wheel Hmm. and it wasn't like they were always going to church i think i call them like a ceo you know those christmas easter occasion like churchgoers (laughs) (laughs) so they would go around those times but um small traditions like being baptized as a baby and my mom wanted to be baptized as an adult when she made the decision herself and that just became a point of contention in the family of like we've already covered you Hmm. we already baptized you why are you doing this again Hmm. Um, so those are more of the tensions of tradition um other other things like um you know do you fast for lent or do you have lent practices and I never grew up with Lent practices of, you know, the first the 40 days leading up to Easter, mm. giving up meat or something like that, um, which was something that my grandmother always did. Mm. But then my mom was like, well, we don't have to do this anymore. Like, it's not a need. But also seeing the benefit now as an adult of like, okay, giving something up for those 40 days is actually a helpful practice mm. of just getting my mind right. But, you know, to each their own of how, mm. what helps them get to the point of remembering God's sacrifice for us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, that's so fun. Even within my family, my mom was raised Catholic. Um, oh, yeah. And then I think my dad's raised like Episcopalian, but then they ended up becoming more, yeah, like evangelical. Had, they yeah. both had this moment where they're like, I'm going to become a 
a Christian for myself. It's not just yeah. something that I was like raised with. And so even that with their story is pretty interesting. But my mom still had some of these practices that she oh, really? okay. grew up with. So I'm super used to Lent. And I was like, oh, what? Protestants don't do this. It's such a cool thing. Like yeah. Ash Wednesday and like getting the cross on the forehead and the palms and like, um, yeah. And, and like giving something up for Lent. And yeah. So it's super interesting just how uh, kind of like the blending can happen to create for me, like a really vivid, vibrant yeah. view of uh, yeah, how to connect with God. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm really grateful that my mom still kept some of those things um, yeah. in her sensibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like an interesting thing as well to take away because they're all practices. If it becomes like that central thing of like, this is what it means to be a Christian, then that's where I'm like, mm, this is, this is dubious. Hmm. Hmm. But if it's something where it's that your conviction of like, this is what reminds hmm. my heart to go to God, then that is something that's a good thing. Hmm. So for some people, they're not comfortable with lighting candles in church because it reminds them of an older, more quote unquote oppressive system that they grew up with where they felt hmm. a lot of trauma or shame and for other people lighting a candle genuinely focuses them on god so i think it's yeah. definitely an interesting tension to to walk man yeah and then trying to lead groups of people without knowing know. you know that just gets so interesting um so i'm kind of curious with your dad and your mom and um their different backgrounds mm. what were some of the different parenting styles that you interacted then with or oh oh so many slammed so into many um well I think my dad was quite like wholehearted like American discipline boy it was good um and my mom like I think anyone that has like eastern parents of some kind will relate to this of you know like the tradition is you live at home until you're married and then that's not American tradition at all so (laughs) that was one thing um my mom also homeschooled us so that was also not very popular at the time where, especially where I lived, where uh, a lot of people were like, that's a bit of a, an occult thing. <laughs> and uh, you're like, mm, not really, no. Uh, but yeah, so differences like that where like we learned, we were learning Arabic at home and we were cooking Arab food and like all sorts of like she ran it, like you will know how to run a household. And that was like super important to her. Um, for both my brother and I, which I think mm. is not super common, um, whereas I think traditionally in Arab culture, it's not so much of an emphasis to teach the boys how to do things yeah. in the house, in the kitchen. She was like, um, no, you both need to eat. So you should both learn how to cook. And I was like, that's yeah, yeah, mom, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, she really taught us how to um, be curious and like learn how to do things with what you have. So she very much came from a family that's very agricultural in nature and you scrounge and you're poor. So you got to like get, you know, whatever you have, you make it do. You are creative with which resources you have, which um, my dad kind of grew up more middle-class American. So when we grew up quite poor, I think there was quite that tension as well, where for my mom, that's pretty normal to be poor, whereas it wasn't really the normal for my dad. So I think that's where the tension sometimes could come in different parenting styles um but yeah I think most of the time it was my mom was very involved in all the details and still is um but yeah I think it just reminds me of that movie my big fat greek wedding have you ever Mm -hmm. watched that Mm 
mm-hmm. it, that's very similar vibes like wow. very similar like <laughs> yeah uh that movie my mom and I will watch it together or or one of our favorites is Fiddler on the Roof which is very similar as well wow. um with like the the parents weighing in and giving opinions and stuff like that so yeah I think at the time I hated it I hated how involved my mom was like oh mom please seriously leave me leave me alone um <laughs> I could and- see angsty 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 yeah. She was not a joy to know. And I have apologized to my mother since. And mom, if you're listening, I'm so sorry still. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Angsty Hadil, trying to figure out who you are as a person, but also very much like rules and what felt like legalism as well. So how Mm. do you maintain truth of who God is and practices that are good without also losing the heart of you know, this has got to be a choice that you make. And it's not just behavior modification that do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that mm-hmm. to heart transformation as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't say there are big, big specific examples. No. Although there's really some good. food that my dad will not eat that we're all like, you're crazy. This is amazing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But yeah, my dad, my dad is a, a hilarious character. He's the best, best storyteller ever. Like, mm. uh, and my mom, she will just help and be whatever you need to be. If you need someone to go shopping with you, she'll go with you. If you need someone to like do your laundry, she'll do it for you. Like, yeah, mm. she's, she's she a just joy. really wants to, yeah, acts of service or yeah, her love language. So um, what's the like flying the coop moment look like? Maybe for oh. your family, yeah. but like uh, also, yeah, in the cultures that they're raised in, like, when is that moment where you're released as an adult? Is that ever happen? Mm. Is it revolving around marriage? Like, what's that look like? Um, well, my brother and I both lived at home during college purely to save money um, because college in the United States is so expensive. Mm. Um, and I had zero interest in being in debt. So that was my goal was I just don't want to be in debt. I'm going to work and also be in school, but live at home which I think was beneficial financially for me. I don't know if it was super beneficial for me as a developing adult because uh, you don't have as much of the separation. Um, but yeah, my brother moved out of the house when he got a job in Japan. So he graduated from college, he got a job in Japan and then he moved abroad. And that was his first time living outside of the home and also outside of the United States, just Mm. all at once and his first job. So everything all together. Um, And that was like a big mourning moment for my mom. She's like, oh, you're leaving and you're not married. Like, yeah, yeah, we know. Uh, (laughs) And then for me, I lived at home still mostly after college as well when I had my first jobs. Um, I think I had a, I moved out with a roommate for like a girl that I knew from church uh, and I was 10 minutes away and it was like this most heartbreaking moment for my mother. She's like, oh, you're so far. And I was like, mom, I'm literally 10 minutes away from you. Oh man, so cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so nice to be loved so deeply. That is true. I don't want anyone to hear this and think that I do not appreciate my mom. She is a joy. Uh, but then I got this job in the Netherlands because I thought I was looking for a new job. The company where I was at was kind of dying and um, it was I just knew I was like, yeah, I got to get a job. This is not good. And I was a bit desperate to do something outside of Arizona and figure out who I am as an adult. 
And I thought, oh, I know one person who lives in Amsterdam from my old company. And uh, I just like Googled Amsterdam and visa. Wow. <laughs> and the company where I work now came up and uh, I was just like, oh, I see a job. I'll apply for that. Probably won't get it, but we'll see. And then like a month later, they're like, okay, can you, can you move here in like a month? And I was like, to be honest, guys, I didn't think this was going to work out. So <laughs> didn't really think about that. But yeah, uh, I think I can. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I moved with less than a month to prepare. Uh, so I'd lived on my own before a little bit, but I hadn't lived abroad. And um, yeah, I think one of the big motivations for me was my whole family was so international and understood what it was like to be a foreigner, to be not the dominant culture if that makes sense Hmm. and I didn't want to be the only one that was just super super monocultural American um so it was a big interest point for me and I thought I'll just live here a couple years and then I'll come back or some Hmm. three years (laughs) three years so yeah I think when I left uh or when I told my mom that I was going to leave to come here she said well if you leave me Hadil you will break my heart like Yusuf did the first time it's like dagger chest twist like it was so difficult because it, it, it felt like a betrayal like I had betrayed her but at the same time she was so happy that she had trained us so well and like given us so much like autonomy to like feel that we could move abroad and to still follow Jesus abroad too so mm. yeah my dad was very much like deal your mom's gonna say these things it's okay you're still gonna go forward and I will miss you so much but also I'm so excited for you so mm. that I think was like the difference in uh their parenting styles yeah. which I think they balance each other out quite well because I think mm. if it was one versus the other I don't know if that would either be super helpful for me I think having them understanding hey we were also vagabonds we also lived across the world mm. it's not super shocking that's in your DNA as well just live for Jesus wherever you are. And uh, yeah, I think, I think they're pretty happy with how we've mm. turned out, <laughs> mm. That's but it's definitely cool. an interesting tension of um, I think in Arab culture, like your value a lot of the time, and this is not all Arab culture. I would say, I think this is my understanding of it. So some people may have a different experience um, is if you live with your brother or you live with your dad, you need to at least have some male umbrella protecting you. Um, and the fact that I was a single woman moving abroad was the most terrifying thing. Like you don't have a male umbrella protecting you. Like your dad's not there. He can't help you. Your brother's not there. You don't have uncles there. And the thing that I came back to with my mom, especially was, well, if we believe that Jesus is good, do you not also believe that Jesus is my male covering, that he is the one that will cover me. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, oh. Yeah, I think that's something that I also have to remind myself too, because if you think in terms of, oh, I don't have this, I don't have this, like Jesus is my covering, he is my protection. Mm. Um, and that has definitely proven itself true in living abroad, for sure. Yeah, I've seen I'm a kinda... lot more of God uh, in, in vivid color, because you have to depend on him when you yeah. don't know the language, you don't know anyone. Mm. So yeah, it's kind mm. of the experience of the flying the coop moment. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And I am curious, yeah, what, what has mm-hmm. it been like to be in Amsterdam? And um, how has that used the word vagabond, which is so, yeah, I really like that idea. But mm-hmm. un- unpack that a little bit and 
what impact does that status have on your faith? Yeah, how does that play out? Yeah, I think I've always been a bit jealous of people who really feel a sense of home in a certain place. Like if they feel like, oh, I feel very American and I want to live in Oregon, that's where my home is. I never felt that. And so there's always this jealousy of like, I don't feel that and I don't want to feel trapped by one spot, but I also want a sense of home. So it's living in that tension of like place, like what is place? And especially as a Christian, like, yeah, I think trying to understand like how you live, it impacts how other people see Jesus as well but not just using the resources of wherever you go and just like tossing it aside, like living and being there and investing there, investing with the people there, but also not feeling like this is my full home Hmm. because my home is not in this world and none of us have that. So we all have this, this is not how it's meant to be. And I think that when you're more of a vagabond or you have lived in more places than um, your hometown, that sense is like increased almost, at Mm. least for me, of this is my temporary home and I'm still going to take care of the home, even though it's temporary because that's what's right and what's good and what is a show of what is my future home. So just because I'm renting my house does not mean that I don't take care of it. It means Mm. that I take care of it really well. And until the person who owns it comes back and takes it back. Mm. Um, So yeah, like learning and living in that principle as well, because Amsterdam especially is very transient, or at least it was especially before COVID where there's a lot of expatriates who come here and live here for a year, two years, three years, and then leave. Um, And it's not necessarily always a bad thing, but it makes me think, what is home, what is place. And when you are in someone else's country, how do you be a good citizen and honoring to that place while you don't know if that is your place permanently? Mm. So that's something that I've been like thinking about a lot more recently. And I think the, the, (laughs) the positive side of COVID is that I've had to slow down and think about those things much more. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's just not an option to go travel to all the cool European city or nope. countries that were around. And yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and I was traveling like crazy before, like I huh. before COVID, I work for a travel like industry. Yeah. So yeah. I would go see people all over the world. And, you know, one day you're in India and one day you're in Taiwan and one day you're planning a trip to go to Peru. And then all of a oh. sudden everything stops and you're like, oh, what is what is my purpose in being here now? Everyone's thinking about that. Whoa. Yeah. I cut you off. What were you saying? Well, yeah, I just can totally relate. And I was just even thinking about, we were going to host a ton of people this past summer Mm. because it's like our, you know, we're living now over in Europe. And so then family was going to come and friends were going to come and like had a packed summer and then it was just all gone. Then the beauty that came out of that is it made us really invest in Amsterdam. And like, we just had a blast. We were at the park every week every weekend and like had a ton of barbecues with church people or navigator people and like yeah we just really deepened our friendships um yeah here, here in Sydney it was like really awesome it was so cool yeah. yeah yeah I really love the like 
COVID is a horrible disease and it's taken a lot of people's lives and it's done a lot of bad things. But I think it's been very encouraging to see the deepening of friendships as well and the deepening of connections in ways Mm. that were not as easily possible because nobody was forced to stop because we're there's this mentality I think also especially in western culture of like do all you can experience everything experience the world but also we don't want to downplay the fact that the here and the now with the people that are around you and the situation in the area around you is also here and now and also something that is not meant to be overlooked we often do because you just get caught up in the busyness of life. Do you feel like there's a way to carry that into a post-corona world? Uh, yeah, that is a that's a tricky question because I don't know what the post-corona world will look like. You know, will it be fully back to traveling all the time? There's no restrictions. There's no distancing. There's no masks. None of these things. I'm not sure what it will look like. Um, I think some people will carry the the resting rhythms and the deep connections post COVID. And that's something that I want to make sure that I put into practice, like actually having Sabbath time of just chill. And that doesn't remove your worth and your value. Cause that's something that I often will measure my value on is uh, if I'm not moving constantly, constantly doing something, obviously I'm not worth something because I'm not using my 20s to the best of my ability. Whereas God's like, actually, your definition of your worth and your value is found in me, not in how much you travel or how many countries you've lived in or how many places you've been to. Mm. Um, So for me, that was a big learning. I don't know if everyone will have that same output post-COVID. They might immediately be like, okay, I'm free. I can go. Get back to it. So Hadil... Uh, I wanted to hear a little bit more about the evolution of your personal faith. Mm. Um, And yeah, and I'm sure that this theme of a vagabond or not fully uh, at home in one place or the other, I I could see how that could have a a thread throughout. But yeah, tell tell me, um, what were some of the formative moments in your faith Mm. where uh, you realized God was real or you realized something about yourself in relation to God. And yeah, yeah, so take me to some of those early moments. Yeah. Um, I think I officially prayed the prayer of uh, accepting Jesus into my heart around four. I think it was in church. It was like some Sunday school program. And uh, I didn't know what that meant really. But I think the way that I describe it is a lot of what my upbringing was from that point through like high school um, was I would get a lot of beads and I didn't really understand what those beads meant. And I was like saving them. I was putting them in a box, but I didn't really know how they all fit together or Mm. what were they supposed to fit together? I don't know, but I was given them and I was told to save them. So I saved them. And as I got older and as, um, yeah, I just, I experienced other types of like friendships and relationships with people in church and saw hurt and pain and um, in the community around me in like socioeconomically with like, like homelessness and hunger, especially in my area of town, it was, we grew up in a very rough neighborhood (laughs) where Mm. um, it was near the church, but like people from the church didn't really live in that area. Um, And we were the only ones who did. So you'd walk Mm. over to church and there's like a certain shame of not being middle-class Christian 
And um, I think that was something that made me feel like, oh, well, uh, are we actually blessed by God because we don't have the same things that everyone else does? Mm. And yeah, I think that was a, a lot of shameful, like shame feelings. You're feeling like, okay, this is why I'm not accepted happened in those years. So I was both learning and getting input on the truth and the gospel of who God is and the story of how God loves us. But at the same time, seeing the dissonance of my experience and the experience of others around me who weren't accepted in like Christian circles. Um, and I started to use that as a definer of who I am, like, oh, I'm homeschooled. So therefore I'm not accepted or, oh, I'm mixed. So therefore I'm not accepted hmm. or I'm not this. So I'm not accepted. Um, and then it was in high school, I was 16 at the time, and my friends were all like, hey, let's go on this high school adventure camp. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. They're like, quickly, no, Hadil, this is not your vibe. This is not for you. Like, you don't think you would enjoy this. Wow. And the competitive spirit in me, like, awoke. And I was like, no, Tep, I think that I can totally do this. I'm totally going to sign up. So I like begged my parents for the money and I don't know how they scrounged it, but they did. And it was like in Eastern Washington. And it was as soon as we got off that bus, I thought they, they were not wrong that this is, this is not for me, but I'm here. So I got to make it work. Um, <laughs> we got off the bus and it was like, okay, guys, we're going to go do like a whitewater rafting. And I, to paint the picture, I was like a frizzy haired, glasses wearing artistic kid that like was in band and I didn't exercise and play sports. Like I usually caught like the soccer ball with my face with the neighbor kids because I, I just got in the way. So I was a good goalie. So I understood why they said that, but then I was like, I can't let them know that um, they were right. So I, I struggled my way through that um, and very stereotypically. I uh, had a really great camp counselor who um, didn't share real names. She shared her camp name was Tazo, like the Tazo T. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were hiking Mount Adams, which is like a massive mountain in Eastern Washington. And yeah. uh, we had like big packs on our back. And I'm thinking, is God good? L literally, I'm like, as we're going up this <laughs> hill, I'm like, die? God, <laughs> if I die... I leave my turquoise ring to my mother. No. Um, so as we were walking up, she was talking to us and uh, she's like, well, why do you believe what you believe? Is it really your choice or did your parents choose that for you? And I think the combination of like pure exhaustion and just embarrassment that I was literally at the back of the pack and thought, oh, this is yet another reason why I don't belong is I'm not good. Like these other kids, like they can mm. just their thighs power them through this mountain. Whereas mine are like, no, Hadil, it's time to sit. Like, it's time <laughs> to not just happy. relax. Yeah, no. And I think something about the combination of that broke me enough where I could listen to God. And I think that might've been the first time that I could feel God speaking to me and saying, okay, you have the choice and you don't have to do this if your parents are the reason for it you make his choice for yourself. And there's just like a wash of peace that came over me where I thought, I think I'm going to do this for myself. And yeah, that was like a big formative moment for me in my faith. So I would say that's when I actually started taking a bit more ownership of who I was and who I thought and what I chose to believe or what practices I chose to lean into was starting around then. 
Hmm. Um, so that was a big pivotal moment. And then it was college where I, I was very much like, I don't want to be dependent on anyone. I don't want to be a burden to my parents and I don't want to be trapped into a marriage with someone that I didn't like. So I was very much like, I'm going to have a career. I'm going to be doing all these things and I am never going to be in debt. I don't want to live in fear of money and bills like my parents. Um, I'm going to go as far away from that as possible. So then I was like self-proclaimed savior to myself and uh, you kind of got, that was like where a lot of tension came with my parents as well. Like my dad and I, I think the angsty college years of trying to figure out who I am as an adult hmm. and then us having differences of opinions on how to live that out. Um, so yeah, that's when I really dug a bit deeper into faith as well of understanding like, what does this actually mean? Like, who is the savior and like, why does it feel like the savior is such a misogynist or like why is it the bible only talks about men and like why are the women not given this value and i didn't feel like i had value as a woman outside of being married and mm. like especially christian culture in the u.s at least is very much like oh are you married or who are you dating or what's going on and i just got so annoyed like is this all there is to your value as a person is what your marital status is mm. Um, so I felt like a bit of angst and anger, I would say through college and like in my early twenties, like moving into a career and thinking my career would save me. Like if I just have a job and I can earn my own keep, then I will develop and I will be a successful businesswoman and I won't have to need anyone. And lo and behold, career fails you <laughs> and it's not your savior. I found out and that broke me. Cause that was like my hope. My hope was, oh, I'm going to find all these jobs and I'm going to do all these things and I'm not going to have to worry about being dependent on people, but you are dependent on people, whether you like it or not. Hmm. If it's not relationally, like at, at least in the business world, you're dependent on people for advancement and career opportunities as well. Hmm. Um, so that kind of demoralized me. And then, yeah, I just went through a lot of, uh, yeah, I felt like I would take two steps forward and there would be like another step back and it just felt frustrated like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere. And the, the person in need, like in me that was like, oh, I need to like progress. I need to be doing things like, oh, the achiever in me was very strong. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, just like living through that with also like, as soon as I graduated, like, I cannot tell you how many weddings I went to, like the amount of bridesmaids dresses that I had to purchase like you just wear it once and it's like 120 bucks down the drain and you're like listen we could just we could do something reusable something that's actually like you know like maybe I don't want to wear heels at your wedding because it's uncomfortable but you know you so should just be it, like this is the bridesmaid's dress that I've had and I will only wear this exactly so me exactly <laughs> so everyone else is wearing red and I'm like I'm gonna reuse my lilac dress thank you <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, there was like the tension of like feeling like I need to achieve and I'm not achieving in the way that my peers are, which is they are advancing in relationship and I'm not. And I was doing well in my job, but the other areas were not really moving or making traction. So yeah, I started to feel very stuck. And honestly, at a certain point, like one of my best friends, she is a counselor and I interviewed her on my podcast. If you're interested, shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> Real with Keeping a deal it. on SoundCloud. Exactly. Um, and she was like, you know, 
I feel like you've got a lot of like traumas to talk through. And I was like, I don't need counseling. Like I, nobody in my family's died. I've not gone through war. I've not, nothing is like super wrong. Like I just need to like sort myself out. And she's like, no, like you don't have big T trauma, but you have like little, little T traumas. And that was so new to me. I hadn't thought that was an option. Hmm. Um, so I, I, had tra- I was living with a roommate and then I, well, various circumstances need to move back into my parents' house. And I just felt like, ugh, I'm 23 and I'm like living with my parents again. How shameful. Um, and then I went through counseling for like a good, I would say four months. And I thought, there's all that went wrong with me. And as soon as I walked into that girl's office, she's like, how are you? All of a sudden, I just start bawling. And I'm like, who am I? Ugh. I just saw like the Himalayan pink crystal in the window. And then I just started sobbing. And she's like, here are the tissues. Like, she knows that I was going to cry. <laughs> um, yeah, but she like broke me and like made me examine my thought patterns and why I believe what I believe as an adult and trying to let go of some of the the childhood hurts that I didn't realize were driving a lot of my decision-making in the future. So it felt like, you know, like those resistance bands at the gym that are tied to the wall and then you're in it and you're like supposed to run against the resistance band. I felt like that was me uh, running and trying to get forward, but I kept getting snapped back to the wall because of that band. And uh, yeah, and, and then like stopping and going through some counseling it was like somebody saying stand still for a second and like drop the band and then you can walk forward um so that happened right before I moved to the Netherlands and I think that was definitely God saying hey let's let's really grapple with some things and see what you really believe about me and then we can go Hmm. and yeah that was when I was launched over to the Netherlands and it became this sudden constant daily dependence on God for everything. Like, Hmm. God, I don't know where my, how to open my bank account. I don't know if where my income is coming from. Oh God, I don't know anyone. I don't know the language. I feel like I am ruining Dutch culture. I'm like here and like muddying it with my Americanness, and no one likes my accent. Everyone likes (laughs) the British accent. I'm like, (laughs) I'm sophisticated too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just grappling with that and just how God just really showed me, you know, you don't need to know everything. And it took me out of my element of like, I'm capable, I can do this on my own. I had to depend on everyone. I depended on my coworkers for help with things of how to integrate into the culture or how to like find a house and um, how to deal with mice in my apartment. Ugh. I have some horrible stories with that, but for another day. Um, yeah, so that was that was sort of a, the journey of my faith. And I think now I've just seen so much of God's mercies and deliverance in my life and how he has been patient with this impatient person uh, mm. who cares deeply about the details. And the biggest thing with living in the Netherlands is my identity is not in what I'm doing, not in what I'm achieving, mm. but my identity is defined by God himself. So therefore it gives me value and it gives the person next to me value, whether they've lived in their hometown all their life and they're never going to leave. They're not more or less valuable than me. And that was, that's been super pivotal. So yeah, I I really uh, enjoyed how God has spoken to me, not enjoyed the whole process. Yeah. Some of it, I'm like, God, that's not so great. Like it would have been nice if you had told me that 
in a nicer way yeah but yeah mm. but that's he knows just me. how he works yeah like he just knows what we need mm. to really bring the message home yeah wow that's super well articulated it's super cool just to how see how you said all that and i think the thing that jumps out at me is also mm. like um because of that third culture kid like not fully in feeling at home in one place or the other and and always needing to like prove yourself or Mm -hmm. prove why you're there why you're why you should be accepted I think is what you said and just yeah it just sounds like um yeah God just said like you are accepted in my eyes yeah but then it's also been not just like you're great like everything's but it's like you're accepted and we need to work through these messages and and some of these things and And both can be true right like that it's not just you're accepted and you don't need to work on anything or you're you're sort of okay but you like you have a lot to work on it's like I can fully love you and you are fully valued and covered by the blood but you are also it's the already and not yet there's also Mm. this tension of things like the sanctification process Mm. is hard Mm. it's painful there's a lot of baptism by fire that happens and Mm. I just think okay god does that that need to happen but when I look back at it man I don't think I would have learned any other other way (laughs) yeah for real I can still relate to that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so then um, what do you feel like God is teaching you currently? Mm. It's funny because I do like a yearly reflection, like exercise. I'm a big, big believer in reflecting, taking time to sit in and sit in the emotions. Um, <laughs> if you know anything about me, I'm a big fan of like the pseudo psychology test, like like things like Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I have this, uh, this like workbook, like that this lady that is like a life coach, uh, here does. I think she's also a believer, um, Mm. that she just like takes you through and just think about like, what are all the things that have happened this last year? Um, and I do that around like Christmas and it's such a good exercise for me because I'm very quick to focus on what didn't go well and not Mm. on what did, So it really forced me to think back through all of the months and see all of the ways that life changed so drastically this year. Um, And then just to pray and ask God, okay, God, what is, what is it that you want me to lean into this year? And what is it that I need to listen to you more through? Mm. Um, And the word that I had for the year 2020 was resilience. And I had no idea why I was like, yeah, it seems like a good word. It's a bit random, Mm. but okay. And then at the end of the year, I thought, Hmm. God, you know what you were doing. I needed resilience to <laughs> get through this year Wow. Um, of going from, I went from a super social job of I'm always like bouncing between offices in the Netherlands, like, like biking back and forth between meetings and then suddenly completely at home and only on video calls all day. And then also going through a restructuring process and uh, not sure if I'd have a job. So all of these things, like I needed to be more resilient and it was, I had to, there's no other way and how God was faithful in that. And then, yeah, just sitting there reflecting last year on the last year of 2020 and how God was so good and grew that in me. I don't think that that would have happened without him. Cause I do think that that was supernatural, that he sustained me with a hopeful outlook that he will redeem all these things. Mm. Um, and then for this year, I feel like God is really saying, go into response as opposed to reacting 
I think I'm very quick to have a very quick reaction and immediately think I need to share that exact thing. Um, and so I've always been a bit more of like the, okay, but say what you actually mean and like don't beat around the bush or anything like that. But seeing the value in taking time to digest, okay, why am I reacting this way? What is it that is making me uncomfortable about this? Or what do I not believe of God through this? Mm. And then responding there. Um, and just really being intentional with how I respond to the things that are happening around me and not suppressing, but really just taking those first raw thoughts to God and then going through and talking about it with other people that not necessarily that I need to just verbally vomit on everyone of what's going on in my brain. Um, so yeah, just like having thoughtful response. And I think, yeah, it's like a super John Mark Comer thing, but he's like, mm. okay, be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And I work in change management, which is like organizational like change theory, which is like organizational psychology, essentially, which I sort of fell into. Um, mm. And it's such a cool thing to see that my role is really to try to be a non-anxious presence and to help people through things that are going on. Mm. And that's wow. also not my natural bent at life. So wow. yeah, response um, is better than reaction and that you will have reactions and it's not to shame the reaction, but to surrender those reactions to God and really wrestle with him through that to see, okay, how do you, how are you calling me to respond yeah. outside of what I would naturally want to react to? Hmm. And that is something that I constantly struggle with. Like there are so many things where I'm like, oh, I immediately have a re reaction and share my thoughts. Like I'm really into like the witty banter and like quick, yeah quick comebacks and sometimes i'm like oh oh that comeback would have been good and i realized yeah that's that would not edify this conversation hmm. or myself hmm. or put value to that other person so yeah um i think that's where god has been speaking to me recently is wow. a lot of reaction in this world and how can i respond to wow. that respond versus react that's amazing yeah 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 we always have a choice of how we respond but the reactions come so naturally mm. Mm. slowing down that process um yeah. well Hadil, we are wrapping up our first part so we're going to be sticking around recording a second and getting to jump into some of the things that have already been brought up um but i just want to say thank you thank you for your story and how you articulated things i'm really excited to just uh yeah dig a little bit more into <laughs> some of the things maybe we'll just talk a little mm. bit about what we might want to see come up but um uh, it's interesting to see how you talk about America. So I'm, mm, I'm yeah. kind of curious to un unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Lots of thoughts. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm sure. Um, and and then Christian culture, it's also interesting to see how you talk about mm. that. There's like, yeah, you know, it, it's like, a, it's the type of feedback from somebody on the inside can bring. Like, mm. you know, hey, I'm like for you guys, but I got some things to say kind of yeah. thing or something, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. Um so yeah, I would love to, I'd love to unpack some of those things. Yeah, happy um, to. Cool. Well, uh, this is our part one. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Of course. You all, thank you for listening. This is Between Two Worlds, a podcast about belief, unbelief, and everything in between. I'm your host, Scott Trout. Thank you for listening.